You're listening to the Church of the Redeemer Sermon Podcast. Join us at our 10 a.m. worship gathering in Alcoa, Tennessee. Visit us at churchotr.com for more info and to hear other sermons in this series. repairman for the vast majority of his life. He probably fixed literally tens of thousands of 
doing so, you know, he's working with his hands a lot. And he had some of the strongest hands of anybody that I know. Throughout his lifetime, he had used those hands to hold mine, to shake mine, as a welcome when I would see him, or as a, a departure when we were leaving and heading back down to Georgia. So he had shaken it hundreds of times, but I reached in just because it, it wasn't real to me yet. So at his funeral, I reached into his casket and I held his hand. It was cold, it was rigid. His body was there, but his presence was not there. And this morning, as we're digging into 2 Kings 4, we're going to be looking at Elisha and at the Holy Spirit, and especially the Spirit's presence and power. So for those of you who like sermon points, we've got two points this morning. First one is just the presence of God's Spirit, and the second point is the power of God's Spirit. The presence and the power of God's Spirit. First, the presence. And it, it has to be said, if you caught on to this when I was reading earlier, and if you actually do read through all of 2 Kings chapter 4, you will see the Holy Spirit is not mentioned one time in the entire chapter. So how can I talk about the presence of God's Spirit when the Spirit is not actually mentioned at all? Last week, uh, I was not here, but I heard that y'all talked about 2 Kings chapter 4, where Elisha asked Elijah for a double portion of the Spirit. And it seemed as if God answered that prayer. But the question undoubtedly remained in the people's minds, the people of that day and time, and then also the people who the author of Kings was writing to his original audience. The question remained, has Elisha actually succeeded Elijah? And in that era, the way that you knew that a prophet was the legitimate successor to another prophet was that that prophet could do the same things, the same miracles as the previous prophet. So if you read all of 2 Kings chapter 4, which I would encourage you to do, Elisha, you see him, he actually performs five miracles. Now the first one, which was before what we read, was he uh, multiplied oil for a widow so that she could pay off her dead husband's debt so that she didn't have to sell her children into slavery. We saw here that he just blessed a barren woman with the ability to conceive. And then we'll see later on in this morning that he actually raises this woman's son from the dead. And at the end of chapter 4, he heals a poisonous spot of pot of stew in the midst of uh, what Israel was experiencing at the time was a bad famine. And he was hanging out with all the sons of the prophets, so hundreds and hundreds of people. And he heals a poisonous pot of stew and he multiplies loaves of bread for them as well. Now, if the widow's oil and the raising of the woman's son, if those things sound familiar to you, they should. Because those are miracles that are actually nearly identical to miracles that Elijah performed back in 1 Kings 17. Now, I'm sure that Elisha did a lot of miracles in the Bible. In fact, we, we will see some more of those as we continue. But our author is very selective about which miracles of Elijah he includes in this chapter because he's making it abundantly clear that Elisha is the legitimate successor to Elijah. He wants you to see that Elisha could do the same miracles that Elijah did. But did he actually receive a double portion of Elijah's spirit? That question still remains. You would think that if Elijah did receive a double portion, that he'd be able to do even more miracles than Elijah did, and that those miracles he did would be even more significant or more intense. It'd be like another level of influence, I guess you say, in those miracles. Well, throughout 2 Kings, we're actually going to see, as we continue to read and learn about Elijah, that he performs. Uh, nearly double the number of miracles that Elijah does. And also here in chapter 4, we see that he didn't 
just raised the woman's son from the dead. I provided you. Blessed her with the ability to conceive her son in the first place. So Elisha didn't just restore life like Elijah did. He actually was used by God to help create it as well. So another level of significance. So Elisha does clearly succeed Elijah and does clearly have a double portion of Elijah's spirit, Holy Spirit, that's on. So what do we learn then in 2 Kings chapter 4 about somebody who has the presence of God's spirit on them and even so a double portion of it? Well, I'm sure that we could pull a lot of things, but the one that I really want to highlight this morning is that someone with God's spirit on them is, surprise, surprise, somebody who has the presence of God's spirit is him or herself present. Now, another way that we like to say somebody is present in today's culture here in America, for sure, is to say that they are non-anxious. Because when you're anxious, you're not really present, are you? You're kind of in your mind. You're in your heart. You're not necessarily uh, fully engaged with whoever it is that is present. And we see this in 2 Kings 4, when uh, everybody who approaches Elisha approaches them with some level of really intense emotion. In verse 1, the widow, we didn't read this, but in verse 1, she cries to Elisha. In verse 8, we saw the Shunammite woman, she urged him to be conceived. And we're going to see a little bit later that in verse 27, after her son had died, when she went to Elisha, she just, in her desperation, she fell before him. And she grabbed onto Elisha's feet. She wouldn't let go of his feet. And her display of emotion there was so dramatic and intense, the fact that his servant Gehazi's first reaction try to pull her off of Elisha because he feared for Elisha. And in verse 40, the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha about the deadly stew, and then just a couple of verses later in verse 43, Gehazi himself, the servant who had been there, who had seen the vast majority of all of these miracles, he expressed doubt and almost mockery at Elisha's command to feed the men, to feed all these sons of the prophets with the 20 loaves of bread. And Elisha's response, in each one of these situations, is he gives really wise directives. So it's tempting to say that the Spirit blessed Elisha with wisdom in order to give these wise directives, and that is true. But beyond that, I'd say if you want to look, he gave him wisdom here, but what, what did he give him that allowed him to be wise, to give those wise directives? We would say that he blessed him with a non-presence. Just an anxiety, perfect presence, anxiety also perfect. Perhaps nowhere is this more evident in our text today than in Elisha's response to the We're going to go back to the Second Kings chapter four here, read verses thirty through thirty-six. Now, this is uh, the Shunammite son has passed. He, uh, she has then come to Elisha out at Mount Carmel, which from Shunam is about a twenty-mile journey. So it's been a couple of days by the time she gets there. And the text says, uh, after telling him that the son had died, the mother of the child said uh, to Elisha, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you, essentially, unless you come with me. So Elisha arose and followed her. Gazi went on ahead and laid the staff, Elisha's staff, on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. And therefore he returned to meet him and told him the child was not awake. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and he lay on the child. 
fingers mouth, thumbs mouth, eyes, thighs, hands, arms, as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became one. Then God began and walked once back and forth in the house, and he went up and he stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times, and the child died. And then Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, Call this man. So he called her. And she came to him and said, Pick up your son. Now, if you're Elisha and you have somebody that you really care about come to you and say, uh, especially with that level of intensity, and, and beg you to raise your child from the dead. Uh, how would you respond? What would your reaction to that be? Well, surely, I think, we would think that she's joking about her belief either in that we can actually do anything about the life of the son, or certainly the child can't actually be dead. For me, if, if, you know, maybe I say, sure, God's going to do something, he's going to provide, let's go. And then the closer that we get to the town, knowing that it's a couple days journey, I would just become more more financially And here we see that initially Elisha, he just wants to send his servant Gehazi to heal the boy with the staff. He doesn't want to get as invested as uh, the woman, as the Shunammite woman wants him to be. But he quickly learned she's not joking. No, this is real. She believes that her son is dead because she refuses to leave the side until he goes personal. Then Gehazi does eventually still go on ahead of him, but notice his words when he comes back to Elisha as they are on their journey. This child has not yet But when Elisha arrives, the universe starts to see that yes, in fact, the child is dead. It was so dead that it was obvious just by looking at it. The distance, again, like I said, it's about 20 miles that he had traveled. So it had probably been a woman's journey, the Shunammite's woman's journey, and her journey back. It had probably been at least three or four days. So by this point, I would imagine that the child's skin and lips sunken in. And I may be taking some dramatic liberty here, but I usually imagine this whole scene happening in complete silence. I don't imagine as I'm reading through the text or envisioning what's going on here with any children playing in the background. I don't imagine as it's this sort of movie that there is dramatic music that was playing in the background. The only thing that matches the chill of the silence in my mind is the chill of the child's hands. And the only sounds are Elisha's Occasionally includes deep breaths. And then the sounds of the chair and the floorboards cracking and leaves around the room. The only voice that we hear is his muffled prayer. It's muffled because this is weird. It's muffled because he's bowed down heavy. His head's bowed down heavy in his hands. And his palms are The child is that the black lips and cold to the touch of my grandfather. We know that dead things can't do anything. They need the presence and they need the power of something or someone else to resuscitate them. And in this case, the Spirit's presence in Elijah freed him to be a non-anxious presence to care for the child. And the power of the Spirit worked through him and his presence. And that power actually returned to him presence. What do we do with this? What does this mean for us? Now, I do want to be clear as we transition to application here that if you tend to be an anxious person, as I am, I am not telling you just to try harder and trust more in the Holy Spirit. 
again, as somebody who can become anxious myself, I know that the funny thing about anxiety is that uh, it doesn't work to be told not to be anxious. In fact, being told not to be anxious only exacerbates your anxiety. So, with that anxiety, to be more fully present, have to do with Elisha. I think the silence in the room reflected the silence in his mind. And rather than trying to solve the problem himself, we see everywhere else in 2 Kings chapter 4 that he offers a really wise direction, immediately in response to Jesus. And rather than trying to solve the problem himself, here he actually talks to his friends. It's the only place in the entire chapter that he prays. So likewise, when you feel anxious, it's an invitation to pause, to quiet your mind, not in your own strength, but to quiet your mind by focusing on God, by being present with God Himself, and by doing so, by talking to Him. Now, like I said earlier, presence does matter, and the Holy Spirit is always present with you. We'll talk more about how He's present with you a little bit later. When you are present to Him, the Holy Spirit's power works in you, and it's power that is even capable of calming your anxiety, because we esteem it is power that is capable the dead life. And with that, we turn to our second point, which is the power of the Spirit. Now, as I was preparing for this, like a common word that really the Lord wouldn't let me let go of as I was thinking about the ways that the Spirit demonstrates its power in this text is the word abundance. Now, abundance can mean a lot of things, but two of the most common things that abundance means, especially from the biblical text, is that it either refers to quantity or it refers to quality. So with quantity, you can think about abundance in terms of more than is necessary. You have more than what you need for X, Y, or Z. And for quality, it refers to superior to or surpassing. Now, just to kind of highlight the distinction between these uses of abundance, I want to get a couple of examples. We're going to have a little fun with these examples. So for example, for quantity, I would say that Blunt County has an abundance of fast food restaurants. Blunt County has more fast food restaurants than are necessary. I would also say that East Tennessee has an abundance of slow drivers. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Amen. I would also say that in East Tennessee, the song Rocky Top gets played an abundant number of times. Far more times than is necessary. I've heard that mumbling. <laughs> And then East Tennessee definitely has an abundance of ball fans. Although I know, as a ball fan, you would say there is no such thing as more ball fans than are necessary. <laughs> but I love you guys. For quality, I would say the Smoky Mountains are abundantly beautiful, especially relative to the mountains. They are superior to the North Georgia Mountains. They surpass the North Georgia Mountains. You can also say that you experience abundant rest, rich rest, with the weekend that is spent at Blackberry Farm versus the weekend that is spent at a Holiday Inn, even a Holiday Inn Express. <laughs> Blackberry Farm's experience surpasses Holiday Inn's. But perhaps most clearly, if I could actually integrate the two different uses of abundance uh, within one sentence together, if you were on the men's retreat last weekend, you know that we enjoyed an abundance of abundantly delicious food. The food was exceptional, and there was far more of it available to us than was necessary. Trust me, I can see the good effects of that. 
But I'm pretty sure that that food contributed to all of the guys that were on Earth having an abundant time together. So how do we see abundance in our text? Well, we see it with uh, the widow. Elisha didn't just give her uh, the oil because her enough oil to pay off her husband's debt. He didn't just give her that. He also gave her enough oil so that her and her sons could live off of it as well until her sons came of age so they could actually start to work and produce too. So he gave her an abundance of oil. And then by giving her an abundance of oil, it's allowed her and her sons for that time being to live in abundance and better life. Or a life that was superior than what they would have had if she had to lend her sons to creditors to pay off debts. While the wealthy Shunammite certainly didn't need money, she didn't have an heir to receive her husband's wealth as well after he died. So Elisha provided a son for her, and through that relationship, provided a superior life for her, certainly one that's better than if she was all of a And of course, uh, later on, Elisha provided an abundance of stew by healing it as poison, and an abundance of bread by multiplying the loaves. In the midst of this great famine that Israel was experiencing at the time, both of these actions provided an abundantly better experience for life for the sons of God. So what does then abundance look like in our own lives? Well, in terms of quantity, some of us here I know could say that we have an abundance of money. Or we have more money than is necessary, but I also know that others of us are barely scraping by every month. And I do wonder if those who have an abundance of money would say that their abundance of money has provided them with an abundantly better or rich life. As uh, one of the prophets from the late 90s, the notorious EIG said back in 97, no money, no problem. How about relationships? How many of you feel like you have an abundance of relationships? Or maybe you do feel like you have an abundance of relationships, but how many of those relationships offer you an abundant life? And some of the most lonely people that I know have hundreds of acquaintances, zero close friends. What about time? Time certainly is a really interesting one because it's the one thing that every single person around the world has the same quantity of every day. Nobody has an abundant amount of time or more time than is necessary because we all have the exact same amount of time. But the quality of our time varies widely from culture to culture and person to person. In fact, I talk about time, but I don't even feel like I even asked our church uh, whether or not everybody feels like their time, they experience time abundantly. Uh, I already know that most of us don't feel like our time is abundant. I just have to say whether it's money, there's relationships, there's time, whatever it is, I hate to break it to you, but you never will. You will never have enough. What you do have will never be enough. Just like in our text, eventually the widow's oil ran out and her sons did have to work. Eventually the pot of stew and the bread ran out and the sons of the prophets got hungry again. And then tragically, yes, even the Shunammite's son eventually died again, just as we all know at some point as well. Never have enough. Which you have never be enough. Unless, unless, as Jesus says in John chapter 10, you are actually in Christ, who is the greater Elisha. Jesus says there in John 10 that he came that his people may have life and have it abundantly. In Christ, you don't just have enough, you have more than is necessary. And what you have isn't just enough, it is superior to or surpassing. 
Let's look, at, let's look at relationships as an example. For quantity, I would say that a relationship with Jesus is a relationship with the man who put the stars exactly where they were supposed to be, and he put the moon exactly where it was supposed to be to continue to orbit around the earth as it does. A relationship with Jesus may be just one relationship. Man, how vast the riches and possibilities of that relationship. And that one relationship means that you now have something in common with billions of people around the world. So, Abundance quantity of relationships with Jesus? Yeah, so. What about quality? Abundance of quality? Well, friends, Jesus is the only person who can truly satisfy the deepest longings of your heart and offer freedom without cost. Because we already paid your freedom. In Christ, we're already seated in the heavenlies, and with Christ, we'll never, ever be alone. There is no more quality relationship we'll ever have than a relationship. That's relationships. What about time? Well, Jesus offers us eternal life. We read about this in 1 John chapter 5. You can't get more of anything than infinity. And he says that in, in this eternal life, there's not going to be any pain. There's not going to be any tears. So, no pain. No sadness. That sounds amazing. It definitely sounds far superior to the life that we are now living. It is. It is both abundant in quantity and quality. Here's what you're and we often miss the side of heaven. It is one of the keys to unlocking so much of the Christian life. Let's look back at our uh, New Testament passage from 1 John 5. Again. That this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. This life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. You may know that you have eternal life. John says that whoever has the Son has life. Present tense. You may know that you have present tense. Eternal life. He doesn't say that you will have life, but that you may know that you will have eternal life. You already have it. This eternal life, which is abundant in quantity and quality, begins when your relationship with Jesus begins. And how does it do that? It does that through the presence of and power of the same Holy Spirit that rested on Elisha. Here's another beautiful truth. Something that distinguishes all of you who are in Christ from Elisha. The biblical language is clear in, in Kings about that the Spirit rested on Elisha. And that's how Elisha asks for it from Elisha. In 2 Kings 2.9, I want a double portion of the Spirit to rest on me. And that's how the sons of the prophets explain it in 2 Kings 2.15. Look at the power of that Holy Spirit working through Elisha. When we get to the New Testament, there's a world of difference in our experience with the Spirit. We just changed one letter. After Christ's death and resurrection, he pours out the Spirit of Pentecost. And there we see the O on turning to an I. Rather than the Spirit resting on us, the Spirit now lives inside of us. Look at Acts 2, 1 before the Holy Spirit is given at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. The divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Does that sound familiar? Here we have a turning point, an evolution of the Spirit's presence, the Spirit's power. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. It didn't just rest on them. 
see the same reality of in, not on, they otherwise other places in the New Testament. First Corinthians chapter six, Romans eight, continue to go on and on if you'd like to. The presence and the power of this same spirit that we see at work in Elisha, seventeen chapter four. The same spirit who raised the Shunamite son from the dead and gave him back his life is the same spirit who now dwells inside of you and offers you an abundant life of abundance. Not in the days to come, but today and in the days to come. Let's pray and let us ask the Lord to help us to believe that. Father, thank you for the presence and the power of the church. We confess that we don't always believe in the presence and power. We certainly don't always live like your spirit to help us to believe. We invite you to do so. We pray this in the name of Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you can join us next week. God bless and have a great week.